Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is the Zach Morris of True Crime. He is the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. If I'm Zach Morris, that makes you... A.C. Slater, of course. (laughs) Or something like that. Lisa Turtle. Tonight, we are drinking Dark Force by Elevator Brewing Company, garage grade, four out of five bottle caps. Dark Force is well-balanced. It's a fantastic beer, lightly hopped with a beautiful copper color. Dark Force was brought to us by these beautiful minds, chilling in the garage. First up, we have from sunny, beautiful parts unknown, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Hashtag true crime and chill. From Jersey, United Kingdom, we have Mitchell. Like your jib. And a big thank you to Bront in Australia. Bront says, please look into the Daniel Moore Cobb case from Melbourne, Australia. Dude, cheers, that, mate. That is cheers, mate. That is a dude's name, Bront. That's a that's a man. That's name. a man's name, Bront. He's probably a cowboy. Call me Captain Bront from now on. Like your team. Big shout out to Lindsay from Carmel, Indiana. We also have Laquell from Bronx, New York. Let's take it to the big Buckeye State. Oh, wait. I.O., we have Laura from Cincinnati. Laura says, you should look into the Bricka murders. Mm. That's on our list, Laura. So go Bearcats. And a big happy birthday to my buddy on Snapchat, Harry Gasm. All right. <laughs> it's a real name. It's a real birthday, too. It's my real name, bro. And last but not least, we have Jacqueline in Seabus, Ohio. Jacqueline loved the our Halloween show, episode 59, mm. the one where we reviewed our favorite true crime documentaries. Yeah, we probably should do a redo sometime. Yeah, because I've watched like 10 documentaries since that episode. <laughs> it's a big thing on Netflix now. Yeah, so thank you for everybody for pitching in for this week. If you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. If you'd like to follow us on Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff you can find us at true crime garage everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime
This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of Elisa Lamb. This. This is newly released video showing a missing Canadian tourist, a young woman. She seems to be acting in a bizarre way, pushing several buttons on the elevator. This is all going down in a hotel in downtown LA. Her name is Elisa Lamb. She's 21 years old. She disappeared two weeks ago. NBC4's Gordon Tokamatsu live downtown right now with some new details in this case. Gordon. Well, Colleen, we spoke a short time ago with a detective from the LAPD's Elite Robbery Homicide Division. He wants everyone to see this surveillance video shot here at the Cecil Hotel. It shows Elisa Lamb getting into one of the hotel's elevators, believed to be the last images of her before she disappeared. The video captured Elisa Lamb on the morning of February 1st, 8.30 a.m., the day she was supposed to check out of the Cecil Hotel. The day before, January 31st, the last time her family in Canada had heard from her. This is, again, totally out of character for her not to be in daily contact with her family. But then the video takes a strange turn. She punches all of the buttons on the control panel, then waits. She steps in and out several times. She even appears to be gesturing in the hallway, although it's not clear if someone is there or not. Do you believe she's interacting with another person? I don't know. I don't know at this point whether she, she is or not. I think it's fair to say that, that her behavior appears to be a little bit abnormal. But could the behavior have something to do with her disappearance? It's now been two weeks since anyone has seen or heard from Elisa Lamb, who's known to suffer from mild depression and was traveling alone on a trip from her native Canada. LAPD's elite robbery homicide section is on the case, placing fires throughout this newly gentrified downtown LA neighborhood, hoping the video will shed some light. It is the last images that we have of her, know of her presence in the hotel. Two and a half minutes into the video, Lamb steps out of the elevator one last time. 30 seconds later, the door closes, and she's never seen again. January 28, 2013, 21-year-old Elisa Lamb checks into the Cecil Hotel, downtown Los Angeles, California. She is traveling by herself. She is from British Columbia, Canada. She had been in contact with her family daily during her West Coast tour. And on January 31st, the communication stopped. The following day, Elisa Lamb was due to check out of the Cecil Hotel. She does not. And she is not heard from again. She is last seen on the hotel surveillance footage, behaving strangely in the elevator. The footage is timestamped 8.31 a.m. February 1st. By now, Captain, it's been over four years since the very strange death of Elisa at the Cecil Hotel. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, we viewed the video footage, and I'm sure by now most of the world has seen the video. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, we gave our thoughts as we watched it here in the garage. If you haven't seen that footage, it's up on our website now at truecrimegarage.com. And we got a lot to get to today, but I really wanted to start off by going through something very interesting. We wanted to get to an expert's opinion 
on this video footage. Mm -hmm. So this is Dr. Jack Brown. He's an expert on body language. This is from his website, Body Language Success and Emotional Intelligence. He has studied Elisa's movements in and around the elevator, and he's going to clue us in on what he believes she is feeling and what she is doing at the time. And this is such a difficult case because there's so much folklore kind of surrounding this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, today, let's just try to focus on, on the evidence that we know. And we'll start off with this expert opinion with Dr. Jack Brown. So at the start of the video, when Elisa initially enters the elevator, mm -hmm. he states that she is not in fear in his opinion. Her wide arm swing and her relaxed and fluid walk indicate she is relaxed and thus not feeling urgency. After pushing multiple buttons, which she performs in two sessions, Elisa Lamb moves to the back left corner of the elevator. He states her arms at her sides and her feet positions are neutral, relaxed, and does not indicate fear. Shortly thereafter, she looks quickly out of the elevator. She then retreats to the left wall of the elevator and then moves to the left front corner. Her hands adopt the fig leaf configuration and her feet are close together. This is consistent with anxiety or lower confidence, beta emotional tone. This body language does not by itself indicate fear. Can you explain fig leaf configuration? Yes, I wasn't sure what he meant by that either, so I had to dive into his website a bit. But what that basically means is that you're standing upright with your hands in front of your body, fingers interlocked, or at least hands hands together mm -hmm. at your waist. Uh, this is a common stance or display of body language. You would see this typically uh, like somebody standing at a funeral or religious service, maybe a wedding. Uh it would be best described as relaxed but attentive. Well, I'm picking up what he's putting down so far. Next, we see Miss Lamb jump out of the elevator. Uh, this is the quick two-step maneuver, and he says this has a playful quality to it. Okay, so now we're at the point where she is still out of the elevator for a second or two. And then Miss Lamb's feet splay wide while her hands are still in a fig leaf non-verbal or close to it stance. This wide stance signifies greater confidence and is not consistent with fear. Thus, these two nonverbal signs simultaneously convey a level of emotional dissonance. Yeah, in this next movement, Jack Brown claims that this is the most important movement of the whole series. Yeah, she's still out of the elevator, and he says for about 16 seconds, Miss Lamb displays an elbows out lateral, laterally, sorry, with armpit exposed and behind the head hair, which is a preening display. This was at least for some time performed bilaterally. The movement as she reaches up to begin this extended preen was fluid, slow, and deliberate, which is very important. Mm -hmm. He says this display cluster context is a strong and highly reliable indicator of sexual interest. The person of her interest is either present outside of the elevator or she is actively thinking about this person. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Now we can see both hands and arms retracting from her extended preening sexual display as Miss Lamb turns to go back into the elevator. Mm -hmm. 
Miss Lamb steadies herself as she walks back into the elevator. This, coupled with her slow walk, suggests either lightheaded symptoms, vertigo, or a relative emotional extreme. This elbow-forward bilateral hair adjustment behind the ears is a nonverbal sign of Miss Lamb dialing up her alpha. This MAP, MAP standing for Manipulator, Adapter, or Pacifier, indicates that she is trying to be more assertive or courageous. Mm -hmm. This is in distinction to the sexual display previously noted. Her elbows are not pointed out laterally, but held closer to her body. Although the resolution of the video is low, we can see that Miss Lamb is smiling. Although it may not be a true, sincere smile, it is at least a fair social smile. Yeah, I I don't know if I agree with that. I didn't see a smile, even if it was a small social smile. Yeah, I I agree with you. I don't recall seeing a smile either. Um, At this point, her right hand gestures in an illustrator with a fingertip only touching her right chest. Mm -hmm. This hand illustrator suggests a lower sincerity and or higher level of anxiety in this moment. A series of fairly dramatic nonverbal illustrators and maps takes place later in this video. This may be part of the body language of the conversation taking place with someone who is out of our view, or it may be a sort of rehearsal for an anticipated upcoming conversation or interaction. Right. Or, as many have speculated, is possibly due to narcotics. Although our view and resolution is limited, this does not have the nonverbal signature of fear. Yeah, and, I, and again, that's something I think it's so quick to say narcotics when she does have a history of mental illness. And I think it's kind of uh, not the most intelligent thing to say, oh, well, possibly narcotics when right. it's like she's possibly having a mental breakdown and she possibly possibly is manic and those would have similar symptoms. So I think, you know, going to narcotics is kind of kind of silly. You, you could almost include the the manic thing along with the narcotic statement there. Well, well and I think what he's saying as a doctor, he's saying, well, as some speculated, mm-hmm. well, you're a doctor. Do a little research on the fact that she's bipolar, and I just think it's kind of insensitive. I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I think he, he's, he's drawing these conclusions and observations just strictly off of what he's seeing on the video. Well, no, because he just said as some people speculated, narcotics. Mm -hmm. This movement almost looks as if she's playing a game of charades. Then we see Miss Lamb's right foot goes up on her toes. She does this several times. This body language pattern indicates a significant level of excitement and optimism. It is also common with joy. Mm -hmm. At the very end of the video, Elisa's elbow briefly elevates up and out laterally again in a shorter repeat of the sexual interest preening nonverbal as previously discussed. Dr. Jack Brown's conclusion is as follows. Elisa Lamb is playing a game of hide and seek or something similar in this video. And although at times she displays some anxiety, there is no indication of fear. There is definitely an element of play present here. It is of course also possible that narcotics are influencing her behavior. Of particular importance is she is putting herself on sexual display. While what is seen here may have no connection with her demise, if the events in this video occurred just before her disappearance, it is it strongly suggests 
that the person to whom she is attracted may have knowledge of, contributed to, or be responsible for her death. Okay, a couple things in there, a couple things that uh, Dr. Jack Brown is talking about that I find very interesting. Uh, first, he's hinting to the, the idea that you know she's trying to be sexual towards somebody or possibly just thinking about somebody sexual. Uh, if we go with this theory, if we buy what he's saying, then it's probably more likely that sh- there was somebody there with her. Yeah, he's he's basically saying there's a there's a fifty fifty shot that that this person would either well, there's be a, there's always a fifty fifty shot. Well, sometimes job. it's sometimes it's more or lower than that. But mm-hmm. what he's saying is that that she's either interacting with somebody that she is sexually attracted to, mm-hmm. or she is thinking about that person, which really doesn't get us anywhere. Right, and like we said, I mean the. the There'd be a lot of an, uh, questions answered if we had footage of the lobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if we had more security footage, if we had footage of the hallway, we'd be in good shape. A lot, of, a lot of the listeners were kind of speculating that look, if there, if there was somebody that she was talking to, that chances are it would be somebody that would know where the cameras are, mm-hmm. or who would know that the cameras, which cameras weren't working, implying right. that it was a hotel guest. Or not, not a hotel, a hotel guest, employee, but, right? And so, the couple possibilities here is, you know, she didn't go to L.A. with a boyfriend, so it would either be somebody that she met at the hotel or met in L.A. Mm-hmm. or somebody that worked at the hotel. Uh, you know, as they're moving rooms, did she strike up a conversation and then strike up a relationship with somebody that worked at the hotel? That's a possibility. The other thing that you kind of read about is that she had this blog and that she actually met somebody through the blog. And so when she went to her little West Coast tour, Mm -hmm. she wasn't going to go to L.A., but she actually went to L.A. to meet somebody that she met through her blog. But from everything that that we've seen uh, prior to her leaving for this trip, it appears that she was intending to hit three or four different cities in California, there was one city that was of question, but it was not Los Angeles. That seems to me to, to be like a predetermined destination, uh, maybe even a big part of the trip, because we know she's been here by at this point for several days. Right. Which which I get. And I, I don't you don't have to buy that. The L.A. was a second thought mm-hmm. to believe that she was meeting somebody from the Internet, basically. Right. But her having been there for a few days does lead to the question, did she meet somebody? Did she buddy up with somebody that worked at the hotel? I mean, there was certainly enough time for something like that to transpire. Mm -hmm. So in regards to Jack Brown, Dr. Jack Brown's assessment, I do. I found it very interesting. There were some things in there that he pointed towards that I wouldn't have known or picked up on. Um, The interesting part, of course, being that if, if this video was happening right before she disappeared, then his thoughts would be maybe somebody that she knew of had something to do with that. Right. The The thing is, though, I don't see, I, I just don't see her interacting with anybody. It doesn't really appear to me at any point. I just don't get that vibe that, that she's, that she's communicating with somebody in the hallway that we cannot see. I, I just don't get it. How about you? I don't, I, I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think initially it doesn't look like she's with anybody. She doesn't turn around to like check to see if somebody's going to enter the the elevator with her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much, you know, probably about a minute and a half of motions and movements 
where she's clearly by herself. Right. And then there's some weird stuff when she steps out of the elevator. Is she talking to somebody out there? Possibly. Is she mm. talking to herself out there? Possibly. Right. You know, I don't think that my my gut feeling is that she is not with somebody. And I'm with you on that. And I'll tell you why. This is my thought on it. Is that, yes, her, her movements outside of the elevator are strange. And it she does appear to be kind of talking with her hands mm-hmm. at points. But the problem is... Her movements inside of the elevator when she's not talking to anybody are just as strange. So that's why I don't really put a whole lot of weight into what she's doing outside of the elevator. I right. kind of chalk it up to the same thing. The other thing that Jack Brown talks about a little bit is that he thinks that she's playing some kind of game like hide and seek. Yeah. And we kind of talked about that, like maybe playing a game of tag, but you're using the elevator. Uh, a big rumor or a big, I guess, folklore of this case or with Elisa's case is the elevator game, which yeah, or ritual. I think it's been, yeah, it's like to. an elevator ritual game or something. I will not be acting this out on YouTube for anybody. Cause I don't want to end up in a, in another dimension. I have things to do this weekend in basketball. <laughs> Basically this is like creepy pasta type stuff. Yeah. Uh, it started on a Korean website. You get it onto an elevator. There's a sequence that you push. Mm-hmm. You go to different floors and uh and but there's a sequence to it right and it's not just you push all the buttons and then you go up every floor you there's a sequence and every as you're moving through the different floors then eventually a lady gets on with you and then you're going to go to the fifth floor and that's going to take you to a different dimension now once you go into that different dimension it's just you well you have to start the game off a ritual off by yourself that's part of the whole creepy part and then, right. yeah, this woman that you could bump into along the way, if you follow the sequence right, she's not supposed to be human. Uh, right. So you don't talk to her because she could really mess up your trip. You end up at the final floor. Now you're by yourself, and apparently you're in that different dimension or different world. Right. So now you're in this hotel by yourself, and if you don't do the proper steps to basically fall asleep and then wake up back into this world. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad things could happen. So a lot of people think, oh, well, this is what happens. And it's only because we have surveillance footage of her doing some strange stuff on an elevator. Here's the problem with all that. She gets in the elevator and at some point pushes everything. She And, yeah. and at no point does she push like any odd sequence that I that I'm aware of. Well, in 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 the thing is, you said something about falling asleep and waking back up. I I think there's you know, many different versions of this possible ritual um, Mm -hmm. as there is with any of these type of, you know, stand in the bathroom, close, turn off all the lights and stay in the mirror and yeah, yeah, say bloody Mary and different things, blah, blah, blah can happen if you do it this way or that way. Uh, The the way I heard it was that you have to, once you're in this different dimension, you have to try to make your way back to the same elevator and follow a different sequence to end up back into this world. Okay. Okay. So, um, but you're right. You're, she doesn't go anywhere in the elevator. She goes into the elevator, pushes all these buttons, does not end up going anywhere. And even even if one thinks that, you know, uh, if I push, okay, I need to go to, let's say I need to go to two, four, six, and eight. Mm-hmm. So I'll just get in the elevator and push two, four, six, and eight. Well, the elevator is going to take you to those in that order. It's not going to go, if you need to go two, six, four, eight, it's not going to take you in the order that you press them. Right. It's going to take you in the order as it's most convenient. It's like a bus stop. That's the same way that the elevator works. Right. Well, I think your analogy is kind of weird because you 
you went up and you, the elevator would take you two, four, six, and then eight. But if it jumps around, like you have to go to the third floor and then you got to go back down to the second floor, you got to hit three right up to three and then hit two so right, you can right, come right. back down. So that's, I think, the point you're trying to make. But if this was what she was trying to play, this is like, you know, a very failed attempt. And oh, this, yeah. and this is like when your buddy in fifth grade says, you know, hey, it's Bloody Mary time. And so you, you both sneak out. So you can, you got to go to the bathroom. You got to turn off the lights and just say Bloody Mary. This is as if she never even turned off the lights. So right. if she was trying to play some, you know, elevator ritual game, she she messed it up right from the beginning. She, didn't, she didn't wasn't even riding on the elevator. So I I think that's again just some of this folklore, which you know does make the story more interesting. But I, I don't think there's any weight to it. Well, let's go to February nineteenth of two thousand and thirteen. So at approximately eight thirty a.m. This is after several complaints about water pressure. The water pressure was very low. A lot of people weren't able to get, you know, proper pressure in their showers. And there was also complaints about the tap water as well. Now, mind you, some of these complaints were coming in before the morning of February 19th. But anyway, it's around 830 or so that morning that the hotel is going to go and investigate and try to troubleshoot the water problem. Later that morning, a hotel worker, he's a maintenance man, mm-hmm. he discovers the body of Elisa Lamb and quickly calls the fire department. They're called in around 10 a.m. that morning. Now, I'm going to describe the scene and the state of the body when found. Okay. And soon after that, we will be get it, we'll get into the autopsy a bit. Mm-hmm. So as the captain often suggests and as I often fail to do, there's that warning that uh, put, yeah, I'm supposed put, to throw out there. If you got your morning coffee with donuts, and if you don't like donuts, well, then you're a psychopath. Uh, but put down your coffee, put down your donuts, and go ahead. We're ready for you. All right. <laughs> okay, so I'll try to go through this as quickly but succinctly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so the hotel has 600 rooms, right? It has 14 floors. It's listed as 15 stories high. This basically due to the large lobby or ground level. On top of the building, located near the center of the rooftop, there are four large water supply tanks that are intended to supply water, feed water to the building. You know, things including showers, drinking water, basically all of the water supply. So these are are pretty large tanks. Mm -hmm. Each of the tanks at the Cecil Hotel are 1,000-gallon water tanks. They are all grouped together on a platform, which is about three to three and a half foot off of the rooftop. Each tank is eight foot tall. Which is pretty tall. That's Well, that's that's to the top of the cylinder. Mm -hmm. At the top of each, there is a domed lid or a top with a hatch to access each tank. The tanks are four foot wide. The hatch on top of each tank is a square. And it's 16 inches wide, 16 inches squared. All right, so let me uh, pull out this tape measure. You have a, you just keep that right well, next uh, to the computer? Well, it is, it is a garage. Oh, yeah. So 16 by 16, it's about the size of a trash can lid. Like a fairly large boxed trash can lid. Yeah, and I probably could fit through that. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of speculation of who or how someone could fit through there. That's 16 by 16. You and so, I are both considerably bigger than Elisa Lamb. Yeah, I would just, if anybody thinks that that's impossible, I would just recommend to pull out a tape measure or look at a trash can mm-hmm. and just ask yourself, could you fit through that? And I'm a pretty burly guy, and I think I could fit through that pretty easily. Now, the maintenance man using a ladder. Now, this ladder is not affixed to the tanks. Um, None of the tanks have their own ladder. This is just your pretty standard household ladder uh, leaning up against the tank. He's going to, well, probably propped up against the tank would be a better description. The maintenance man found Elisa Lamb's body in the northeasternmost tank, floating face up. At the time of the discovery, the tank was estimated to be about half to three quarters full. Authorities worked for about six hours to remove the body from the tank. Yeah, and which a lot of the speculation here is that if it took them six hours to remove the body, that, you know, it would take her six hours to get in. Not true. Right. Because the body is going to swell. And I know that's gross. Yeah, and it also involves how they remove the body. So during this time, there are several agencies involved. We had the LAPD, of course. We had the Los Angeles Fire Department, the Los Angeles Coroner's Office, as well as an urban search and rescue team. Now, the urban search and rescue team was brought in for their expertise because they have, you know, we have a body that's probably a mess by now, and we have to remove it from this large water tank that is hard to access. Right. So the urban search and rescue team helped and assisted the fire department to devise and execute a plan that would remove the body and preserve the remains and evidence at the same time. A couple of things regarding the building before we get to the coroner's findings. Well, well, let's get right to that right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to FactorMeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 and use code TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code True Crime Garage 50 at factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 
20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, cheers, mates. I want to go through a couple things regarding the building before we get to the coroner's findings. The Cecil Hotel's rooftop is secured, meaning the doors that lead to the rooftop are equipped with a lock and alarm. The Cecil's standard operating practice is that these doors are to be locked at all times. Now, that does not mean that they are actually locked at all times, but they are supposed to be. The hotel rooftop is accessible by using the fire escape. I've looked at several photos of the rooftop, some taking, taken on the day her body was found. In those pictures, there are clearly at least two fire escape ladders leading to the rooftop. Right. I'm guessing by the layout of the building that at minimum, there are three or more of those ladders with the emphasis on or more. The placement and number of ladders is key when you need to create a good flow for these for escape procedures. Right. So basically what you're saying is that there she would have access to these. And there's probably more of these. Oftentimes, architects will use basic symmetry for ladder and door placement. Uh, this will allow for maximum occupancy to successfully evacuate the building. Um, it's a simple way to maintain a good flow of persons fleeing from the building and to avoid bottlenecking. Uh, so I say the number of ladders is more likely more because that many of that many rooms, they got 600 rooms. Three ladders is not a lot. It's more likely more. Yeah. Yeah. It's more likely higher. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, so anyways, the point is that there's a bunch of ladders and should have access to it. Correct. Now let's talk about those hatches on the dome tops of each water tank. The 16 by 16 inch hatches. Because these things have been argued, debated, and often misreported. The hatches were not locked. Mm -hmm. I know many people have tried to say that they were locked, but I can tell you 100% they were not locked. And why is that? Because they did not have locks on them. So following the death of their daughter, Elisa's parents sued the Cecil Hotel. Mm -hmm. In a press release pertaining to that lawsuit, it is announced that since the death of Elisa Lamb, the hotel has increased safety precautions by adding locks to all four of the water tank hatches. Again, with this case, there's so much speculation. There's so much folklore. A lot of people that covered this case early after the initial events, like a year after the events, you know, this was not common known knowledge. Right. So a lot of the stuff that you start looking up, if it was three or four years ago, they're, they're going to say, well, maybe the hatches were locked or maybe they weren't, but we know because of this lawsuit that there was no locks on there. So all she would have to do is have access to the rooftop, mm -hmm. which she did and through the fire escapes and she would have to have access to a ladder which was probably up there because of maintenance. Right. And then she would have to be able to fit through a 16 inch by 16 inch hole. Yeah. And well, let's touch on that ladder. Real and, quick. and, and we'll, well, let's talk on, touch on this little flap. There's a little flap. So when people talk about, you know, would she have the ability to push up this tank mm -hmm. so she could jump in? She doesn't have to push up. Some you mean giant lift lid. up the hatch that's right. on top the, of the tank. The, the hatch is not heavy. 
No. And it's actually, you know, I've heard people speculate that it could weigh 30 or 40 pounds. Um, this thing's 16 by 16 and, and fairly old. And it's actually listed in the autopsy report that the hatches would easily open. Right. But let me give you this little analogy. If you take a tire, like tire flipping, crossfitters mm-hmm. will flip tires. You, you might have a 450 pound tire and you might be able to flip that. Can you deadlift 450 pounds? Probably no. not. But because of the access, you're able to flip the tire. So to open up a 30 to 40 pound hatch, it's not, thir- you're not just taking 30 or 40 pounds and lifting it off the ground. You're just flipping it over. Right. So it'd be a lot less weight. And could she fit through the hatch? Definitely. Absolutely. On to the coroner's findings. Very early in the external examination, it is quickly noted that wrist scars are absent. Um, This, of course, being a very obvious sign that one has attempted suicide at some point before they had died. Elisa had none of these scarring. This pointing to the fact that she had never attempted that form of suicide before. And also backing up what the family had reported to authorities. So I, you know, I imagine this is recorded very early in the external, external examination because the police had seen, they had communication with the family early on in her disappearance. Right. The police are informed of the following that Elisa was taking four prescription medications for depression and bipolar disorder. And as far as the family knew, Elisa had no suicidal thoughts or known attempts. Yeah, and I'm just going to bring up her blog because her blog gets brought up a lot. And I'm not super familiar with Tumblr, but I actually went to her blog and took a look around. Uh, she posts a lot of, you know, kind of maybe maybe sad quotes, mm-hmm. but a lot of the stuff that she's posting, I wouldn't consider sad right. or depressed. Uh, and some of the, the funniest stuff that she posts, uh, and I'm kind of late to the game, is uh, Parks and Rec. And right. she has a lot of these little... Uh, scenes from Parks and Rec that she posts, um, which kind of, you know, it was definitely sad. You know, anytime we're diving into this case, you start seeing similarities between you and somebody in the case. Uh, And, you know, to know that, I mean, there's a lot of posts about a lot of different things. Um, Some people also said that there was posts about her talking about trying to get off her medication. I looked around. I could not find those. I would be interested to look at those posts. I couldn't find those. It was mostly what I found was pictures and quotes and um, a lot of pretty, you know, kind of artistic things. Right. But as far as like, you know, going, which a lot of the artistic stuff I connected with, but then those Parks and Rec stuff, it, it made the case even sadder just because, you know, you have this connection with this person that, oh, this person liked some of the stuff that I did and she was struggling with some of the, the issues that I've dealt with. Uh, so you get that connection base, but I, I don't, you know, so when they said there's no suicidal attempts that they know of, that they know of. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it couldn't have been a suicide attempt. Right. You can't watch somebody 24 seven. Right. Um, now the autops, the autopsy lists Elisa as weighing 121 pounds and she is five foot six inches tall. Now I, I simply mentioned that just so everyone can do a mental comparison, taking into account her size in regards to the size of those tanks and the hatches right during the autopsy fingernail hair and sexual assault evidence kits were collected. Mm-hmm. Here is a summary of the coroner's findings. Elisa lamb died as a result of drowning. 
They saw no sign of trauma. Toxicology studies did not show drug or alcohol intoxication. Checking for her prescribed meds in her system, it basically states that toxicology studies were performed to check for these, but the quantitation in the blood was not performed due to to a limited sample. Right. So very little blood left in the body. And the one of the problems with this whole examination is going to be that she was submerged in water for weeks. Correct. The police investigation showed no signs of foul play. No one could find evidence to support intent to harm oneself. Manner of death is considered an accident. All right. So they consider this an accidental drowning. Yeah. Some, some, here's some more descriptive things here. The body was in a state of moderate decomposition with greening that was found. This is typical of seeing what we would see having a body that would sit in water for this length of time. Okay. There is marbling on parts of the legs. The head is bloated with bulging eyes. Parts of the skin exhibit. You really should have gave like another warning. To, to, okay. This is like a long coffee break for people. Yeah, I know. You should, but I'm just saying you should have. You know, that's a lot to take in. Parts of the skin exhibit pulling, and there there was marked wrinkling of the palms, fingers, soles, and feet and toes. There have been many reports that portions of the body displayed degloving. This is simply a false rumor, uh, and probably to add more gore to the mystery, but it didn't happen. Right, and the coroner also found that the hyoid bone and the larynx were both intact. Yes, this pointing towards that she wasn't strangled before being thrown into the tank. And it always baffles me because people that have this, you know, you, you'll hear somebody talking about this case and they'll start saying, well, it was impossible that she would have been able to get up there. It was eight feet in the air and then this giant lid that you have to lift was so heavy and it would mm-hmm. be impossible. And those same people then also try to make you believe that she was murdered. Right. So it's impossible for this little lady to get up there and get into these tanks. But it's more likely that a guy would be able to kill her and, and carry, carry her, her up there and then push her in. That that always baffled me why people's head go that way. Here's what I can say, and we'll, we'll go through this a little bit later, but I can honestly say I, I could have gotten to that tank if I wanted to. If for some reason I wanted to get in that tank... I could do it. it would, Prove it. Uh, well, <laughs> but what I can tell you is if I wanted to carry a person up there, and I, not even a person of her size, if you took a person half her size, right, would be very d- difficult for me to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, you, also probably, you probably should also do some more push-ups. Hey, I do cardio, hit the gym <laughs> twice a week. Uh, in the stomach, they found scant red fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, now portions of tablets or capsules could not be discerned in the stomach, meaning basically they didn't find they're looking for evidence of the medication that she was taking at the time. They did not find that in the stomach. Right now the body, when it was found, it was not clothed. Uh, that seems to be of no mystery to people who have really looked into this case. But another item of big importance, in my opinion, is Elisa's clothing. So this is another topic that has been debated and disagreed on. They did find her clothes. 
They they found them absolutely one hundred percent. Where did they find these clothes at though? They found them in the tank with her. So these are the exact same clothes that she was last seen wearing in the elevator footage. The clothes were found in the tank with her, as as well as her sandals were in there as well. Right, but they didn't find the clothes on her body. There's- Correct. The body was nude. The clothing was in the tank with her. Which to me, I mean, just initially hearing that, I go towards foul play. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I can see that. Because if you're going to jump in a tank for whatever reason, why would you go in with your clothes? Um, I mean, I could see jumping into the tank with your clothes on, but why would you take them off and then also bring them with you? Well, here's my opinion, and this is going to be pretty dark, so I apologize in advance. Another warning. If, put, put down your damn donut. Regardless of how, we'll get into how we think she got into the tank, but regardless of how she got into the tank, my guess is that she was probably clothed when she went into the tank. My thought is because of the height and the distance between her height and the the top of this tank, if the tank was more full, then unfortunately, if she was awake and alive when she was thrown in there, she was probably in that tank for a decent amount of time before she expired. Right. And what you would have to do is tread water and work your way up to the top where you could breathe air. Right. Therefore, sopping wet clothes are going to weigh her down as she gets tired inside the tank. So you would you would want to shed those clothes to try to maintain your endurance. Mm-hmm. That, um, ma- that, that makes a lot of sense. So inside, and this is a little bit of a mystery here to me, but the other items that they found in the tank were her watch and a hotel key card. It's listed that these items were found amongst her clothing. So I'm guessing maybe these items were in the pockets right. of the clothing, but... I can't absolutely say for certain. Right, but if you wash your clothes, you know, then normally in the washer, when you're taking the clothes from the washer to the dryer, you'll find, you know, a lighter or your mm-hmm. your your wallet if you left it in your pants pocket. Now, in the end, the clothing was kept by the coroner's office. The watch and the key card were given to the Los Angeles Police Department, and they were given to them the night that she was brought in, the night that she was found, mm-hmm. probably so they could go back there and, do some type of investigation. Um, the clothing contained a sand-like particulate. Okay. Okay. And now this is where a lot of people point out that this is evidence that she might have been kept elsewhere before she was placed in the tank, that this is debris that got on her somehow, and then she was placed in the tank. I'm going to offer my opinion here, and I'm going to back it up a little bit. What I think that those items are, they're basically described as whitish little flecks of probably like mineral or, or metal. Um, okay. Okay. So I think that those, those, that debris or the sand like particulates came from within the tank that they, they collected on the clothing while the clothing was in the tank. And here's my kind of evidence of that. Well, I mean, it's logical. Yes. There's some logic there. Yes. And these are very old tanks. And one thing that anybody could do at their house these tanks basically operate the same way as we have these little water tanks in our homes as well. They're, they're called toilets. Um, basically, the back of your toilet are, operates the same way. It brings in fresh water, it stores it for a period of time, and then it supplies it to something else. Right. Anybody, if you take the lid off the back of your toilet and you, you stick your hand down in there and you move your hand, 
You okay. well, but you will see things that don't appear to be inside there, but you will see them all of a sudden float in there. These are just things that over time erode or or create these little flecks or debris in that inside that water tank. Right. I just uh, I just had this funny image of you playing around in your toilet. Yes, I did that for hours last night to back up that back up uh, my theory, little theory, and I and we put it on YouTube. <laughs> no, no. Um. So th- th- that is the coroner's findings. All of this pointing toward a, an accidental death. They don't believe that she tried to kill herself. They also don't find any evidence of foul play or anybody else being involved in this accident. Right. And it seems like the, all the evidence points to their findings that this was an accidental drowning. Yeah. And this was not some kind of suicide or anything like that. And they say accidental, uh, accidental death with mental illness. Correct. You know, which makes some sense because there's some history there. Uh, but you were talking earlier and I think I cut you off about the ladder. Yeah. So, so, you know, looking at the body, as far as evidence, it all points towards that accidental death, but then people would argue, well, how did she get in the tank? It right. Because been- this is eight feet tall. Yeah. You know, we've look, it's definitive in my mind that if I can fit through 16 inch by 16 inch, because I measured it out with mm-hmm. my t- tape measure. Then the problem becomes, how does this you know small individual get eight feet up in the air to get to the latch? Mm-hmm. Well, I pointed out her height as well as her weight to show, and anybody that's seen pictures of her, she she's a thin, slender person. She appears to be in good physical health. Um, and I, I don't think she would have that hard of a time because the argument is, well, we've seen pictures of the fire firemen standing around on the rooftop and those tanks look gigantic compared to them. Right. Well, we need to keep in mind that keep, keep in mind the layout of that rooftop. So basically these are, yes, they're eight foot tall tanks, which doesn't seem gigantic. However, they are on a platform, which is about three and a half feet above the top of the rooftop. Right. So you're looking at 11 feet. And then on top of that, that platform, they're also standing on blocks, which are probably a foot tall. Okay, so 12 feet. We're now at 12 feet. That's pretty tall. That's pretty tall. That's pretty tough. You're going to need a ladder. The issue here, though, is that platform that's three and a half feet, well, there's stairs that go up to that platform. So now you've, you've already conquered that three and a half feet. Right. So now you're just dealing with about nine foot or so. Well, we talked about there being... <laughs> well, you could have stopped me from adding the first time. We talked about the, the ladder situation. Now, if you look at pictures from the day that she was found, the ladder that is used by the fire department mm-hmm. is not... It does not appear to be a fire department-issued ladder. This, is, this ladder looks very old. It almost looks like a wood ladder. Mm-hmm. I would argue that the fire department is not using a wood ladder, especially the Los Angeles fire department and this makes some sense because you know and you'd probably know this better than i would you know with your background in security administration uh, maintenance workers if they have to access something often mm-hmm. then they will leave a ladder up there you're exactly right that's exactly what you would do in any of these building situations because a ladder can be cumbersome to try to move up and down through an elevator or bring up some stairs right and you know so you have you have ladders that you actually place throughout the building. So you're not going 10 stories to hunt a ladder. You're just going a story or two because you know you have one every 
so often. Right, and any maintenance that you'd be doing on the rooftop, you'd probably just leave a ladder on the rooftop. Now, on that rooftop as well, remember we talked about that platform that these tanks are sitting on? Well, underneath that platform, it's open. So you could store a ladder right underneath that platform and keep it there and it not be exposed to the elements. Right, and then the big question here is people would say, well, if she used a ladder, then they would have noticed the ladder. Well, here's the issue is a maintenance worker could have noticed the ladder mm-hmm. and just moved it. I'm like, why is this out of place? And I'm thought gonna, that a, another worker left it there. Right. I'm going, what I'm going to do is put this ladder away because it's out of place and it's not supposed to be here. And weeks went by and probably, it. you know, I, I couldn't tell you what I ate last week. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, if I, did I move a ladder last week? I don't know. Right. The other thing, though, too, is if the maintenance staff works anything like the the security staff at this hotel, there's a good chance that that ladder just sat there, that, it, that a maintenance person put it up there and never removed it. And it was there. She found it already in place. Right. And then the other problem becomes you have a lawsuit against you. Mm-hmm. So then how quick is somebody going to come out and say, no, I actually found the ladder against the, the tank one day and I moved it. Yeah. You know, that... I, because because the latches weren't locked, because there was access to the roof, mm-hmm. because there was access to a ladder, mm-hmm. we can assume, then it makes them more liable. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you what. Let's take the ladder out of the situation. Let's say the ladder is not up there for Elisa to find. There's still another way she could get into those tanks. There mm-hmm. is a structure on that rooftop that is right next to the water tanks. Okay. Now, inside this little structure, I'll, I'm going to call it a little building. Um, inside that, that's a typical structure you would see on high-rise buildings. Inside that, you're going to have workings. There are actually workings that go from those water tanks into that building. That's how close they are. Right. Now, you're also going to have things like pulleys and part of the working system of the elevators in there as well. So, on this little structure... It's actually the rooftop of that is higher than the water tanks. Okay. And there is a ladder that is always there. It's a metal ladder that is connected connected to that structure. So at any point, someone could climb up there. And actually, the water tank that she was found in, the hatch, the way that the hatch is positioned, Mm -hmm. it's the closest hatch to the top of that rooftop. So meaning she could have climbed up there to a ladder that's always there. And she could have jumped down onto the water tank rather than climbing up to the top of the water which tank. Which is, which has way more logic to it. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, you know. It would be about a three and a half, maybe four foot drop. So we know that she has access to the rooftop, yes. right? Then she's up there. She's exploring around. Whether or not there's a ladder up there doesn't matter at this doesn't point. Doesn't matter at all. Because if she finds this attached ladder... She climbs that, mm-hmm. goes looking around for whatever reason, opens up one of these hatches, mm-hmm. and maybe falls in. Mm-hmm. Or there, maybe goes in there for some purpose. There's also a chance that a maintenance man left that hatch completely open as well. And that she, by looking down upon it in whatever state she was in, sees this opening and thinks it's something that it actually is not. Right. And decides to enter it. Yeah, yeah. Totally, totally possible there. I think and now to play devil's advocate, yes, now somebody, but if it's foul play, you have access to the rooftop and now you have to carry that. You still have to carry this individual mm-hmm. that's uh, 120 pounds, you right. know, like a fireman's carry up a ladder and then walk her over. Um, 
both are likely both are possible it's yeah. just more likely that a, you know an individual you know any almost any capable individual could climb a ladder and walk over you know to these these towers yeah but the signs of trauma on her body there are none right and all the the ladder the structure the water tank all that stuff would create obstacles for this person so if she's alive and does not want to go where this person's directing her or forcing her to go, there would be a bunch of signs of trauma on her body along the way. So what I'm getting at here, Captain, is that the only way that she went into that tank without her deciding to go in herself, if somebody placed her in there alive, that means that somehow they coaxed her willingly to join them on top of this water tank without you know what I mean? And, and then to force her into that 16 by 16 hatch, right. that too would create trauma. You would see you would see gashes or bangs on the on the arms and probably the legs as well. Yeah, so I mean are we ready for final thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think I think that we are. Well, um, how, how, you know, ladies first. <laughs> Lisa Turtle goes first. Lisa Turtle goes first. So so in my in my opinion, um Unfortunately, I think that we have a girl, we have a woman, excuse me, that uh, that was a very brave person. I think she was dealing with a lot of dark issues and that being the, the disorder. These, there were things out of her control. And I say brave because I think she had a lot of bad days, Captain. And I think for someone to say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to be outgoing anyway. I'm going to go out into society and try to do my thing. I'm going to go on this trip because I want to. I'm not going to let this thing drag me down, right? right. I'm going to live my life no matter what. And I, so I, I think we have a very brave person that unfortunately went to La La Land, uh, and I mean Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and she she finds herself in a in a traumatic episode of this disorder. And she- A manic state. A manic state. And she doesn't really fully know what's going on. And she ends up in the tank on her own. I don't think this was a suicide. I don't think that there was foul play involved. I think it was exactly the way the investigators got it. I think it's an accidental death brought on somehow by this disorder. Right. And, and those findings, then it, it, you know, becomes a, it's a mystery. It's a mysterious death, but it's technically not true crime. Right. Well, it, 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 well, technically not, it, technically okay. not, but any, any agency, uh, that I know of when there's an accidental death, it's actually investigated as a homicide until they can okay, prove right, otherwise. Right. And, and you think in this case that they proved otherwise? I think they did. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, uh, Zach Morris time, uh, time out. Remember okay. when he used to do the time out? I'm waiting he, for you to pull out the giant cell phone. Uh, it's, it's in my back pocket. Is that a giant cell phone? Or are you just happy to see me? Um, I think it's the same thing. Uh, we had a listener the other day and I'm so glad that somebody it was through Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram, um, we try to be pretty active and, uh, I posted something that the show was up Courtney. I believe her name was Courtney. I don't know what her handle is. I, maybe that's not respectful to toss out her handle, but anyways, she said, uh, check out one of my favorite podcasts. One of the shows that got me into podcasts. Uh, this American Life. They had an episode called My Damn Mind. Yeah, which was a rerun from about a year ago, but it was it was their newest episode. And what it was was two stories. I only listened to the first one, 
but it was of this guy, this individual that was dealing with bipolar. Okay. And uh, he was having a manic episode. And he, he ends up getting shot by the police. And But what he does is he actually remembers the, the episode. So when he comes to and after they figure out what's going on, mm-hmm. um, he kind of walks you through this manic episode. And in his mind, he was like, Gonna, he had to be like a double or like an impersonator for President Obama, and he was on this mission, and he ended up like jumping three stories off of his apartment. Wow! Uh, and and they proven that he he did this because it, it, all his doors were locked, and there, it would have been impossible. So he did this, and then he also wrecked his car, and then he so he did all these crazy things because he thought he was on a mission. Right. Right. And he even, like, I think attacked a police officer. Anyways, it's a fascinating, fascinating episode. And if you're having a hard time, you know, getting your head around the fact that somebody could be in this altered state and possibly cause themselves to die, go, go listen to this episode. It's very interesting. Like I said, it's uh, This American Life. The episode is My Damn Mind. Um, it's, it was very fascinating and very opening, and my brain was kind of going to this conclusion anyways. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they did their due diligence. I think there was a lot of folklore with this and a lot of speculation with this case. And I think the video is super creepy. And I think at the end of the day, it's super creepy because this is the last known footage of this beautiful girl's life. And it doesn't make any sense. Right. And it's a tragedy. That's what very it is. much. And the thing is, is like I said yesterday, this is very important. It's very important that we start talking about this. Mm-hmm. It's very important that we talk about mental health. It's very important to be open and honest. I mean, to a certain degree, you don't have to give out every detail. Um, but by other people knowing what you're going through and what you're on, they can help you. Yeah. You know, and there's and everybody has these rough days, and and everybody whether you have a mental illness or not, you have these rough days, just like we said yesterday. And, but it's important to be more open and honest. So tragedies like this do not happen. And somebody that I feel has a lot, you know, that had a lot to offer and look, I mean, social media is, you know, all kind of bullshit anyways, Mm -hmm. but I I love people that use social media in positive ways, post positive things or use it as an outlet to, you know, get rid of some of their bad feelings or negative feelings. And like I said, I mean, and it might sound super lame to some people, but you know, it's like, I love Seinfeld. You love Seinfeld. Love it. And we connect and we talk a lot about the Seinfeld references. We love uh, Larry David, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And Parks and Rec is something I just got into and I'm just finishing the final, you know, season now. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. Way late. Um, and you see posts like that and you just can identify with this individual. And she was just so young mm-hmm. and just starting. And who knows what she would have done, you know? Yeah. And and that, and at the end of the day, it's very tragic. And I think um, if we could start wrapping our head around some of these mental health issues, we can start helping each other live fuller, happier lives. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Unfortunately, I really think that this whole tragedy would not have happened had she been traveling with somebody else. Now, I want to be clear here. I'm not faulting her. That's not her fault. 
She was just doing a vacation like anybody would want to. Right. I don't fault her parents or family for this either. She's a grown woman. And this is a woman that was trying to be brave and trying to be outgoing and do her thing. Uh, where, where I do find a little fault and I'm not going to say, I don't, wouldn't say legally, uh, would be with the hotel. Um, and, and more, more so with the employees of this hotel. Right. And I think it's a moral thing that they, that they've screwed up here. Uh, I find fault with them because they, they clearly, these employees clearly have no problem working at a place that does not really care about security. We, we see this terrible security system. I imagine that there's very little checks that are going on at that time. And also the maintenance staff as well. I think that there were things there. And I only say this as somebody that's worked in these downtown buildings for so long. Mm-hmm. Is that you, I believe you have, it's not just a place to show up and collect a paycheck. And they don't pay these people great amounts of money. But it's not just a place to show up and collect your check. Well, I mean, let you, me just you go have, on you, I think you have a moral obligation that, that accidents like this should not happen. I, I do believe she placed herself there, but I think that there could have been standard operating procedures that should have been uh, should have been executed so that this type of accident would not have happened. Because if if we're right the way that this went down, a child could have done the same thing. Right. You yeah, know, and, yeah. and, and a child wouldn't have known any better. Yeah. And I, and I think to go on your rant, it's, it, but it's about pride. You're right. You know, um, people wear these goofy red hats and I, and I'm going to get all political here, uh, because I, this is not a political show and never will be a political show period. Um, but these people wear these funny little hats that say, make America great again. Everybody can start doing this right. by one champion, uh, awarenesses that need to be championed like mental health. Also, whatever your job is, I don't care if you work at Starbucks, if you if you work at McDonald's, whether you're a podcaster, whatever it is you do, mm-hmm. take pride and ownership in your work because that's a reflection of you. And this girl should not have, you know, they did they know that she had this uh, these struggles that she was dealing with? No, mm-hmm. but she had access to the rooftop. Then she has had easy access to get on top of these water towers. Then she had easy access to get inside the water towers. And those are all these steps that could have been prevented if people took pride in their work and took pride in themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are some individuals at the Hotel Cecil that did. Right. And and that's the problem. When there's 600 rooms, you can't, you know, you and then even managers, you can't, you can't hold yourself completely responsible for every little thing. But, um, to, you know, just, you know, one, you want to make the world a lot better of a place, start taking... I was going to go into a Michael Jackson song right there. <laughs> Take a look at yourself and make Well, change. no, but you're saying you can start this by by starting in your own backyard, on your own street, at your workplace. Right. And if everybody does this, then we're we're golden, baby. Yeah, golden. Hey, and, and you heard it first from Lisa Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but our hearts and our thoughts and prayers go out to her family. They've, they've gone through something very tough. We wish yeah. this would have never happened. Uh, should never have happened, um, but it, it ultimately is just a tragic accident at the end of the day. Yeah, so uh, rest in peace, Elisa Lamb, and uh, I, I will probably go back to her blog um, today and, and take a gander again. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got a recommended reading for the week. We do, and because uh, this story has ties to the Hotel Cecil, it only seemed fitting to do so. This is a true crime classic, The Night Stalker by Philip Carlo. Uh, decades after Richard Ramirez killed 
people, 13 people, and paralyzed Los Angeles. Ramirez's name is still synonymous with fear, torture, and sadistic murder. Philip Carlo's classic true crime book, The Night Stalker, is based on years of research and many interviews with the killer himself. This all revealing that the Night Stalker and his crimes are even more horrifying than anyone could have imagined. So pick up The Night Stalker by going to our website, truecrimegarage.com. We have our recommended page there. Check everything out that's on there. And we have our Amazon banner. You can pick this up through Amazon. Yeah, and if you haven't been to the website lately, uh, I just updated it. It's revamped. It's revamped. It looks a little more modern. It looks great. Our website kind of looked a little uh, early 90s band website, (laughs) but now it's a little more modern. And you can get anything through the Amazon banner. Like, if you can hear that, that's my tape measure. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got that through Amazon.com. And they give us a little kickback at no cost to you. Yeah, and for everybody that's been uh, checking out my music at CaptainFatHands.com, I appreciate it. Much love to you. Much love to everybody that's uh, sharing on social media the show and telling friends. And look, I I got a message the other day where this guy said, I feel a little silly sending you a message, Mm -hmm. right? Saying uh, your show helps me get through my work day. That's why we're doing it. Right. That's why we're doing it. That's, That's We use podcasts to get through our day. And now we're just giving some love back to you. And you guys have been giving us love, so we're now giving you more love. This is a love fest. It is. And I'm sitting here with Captain Fat Hands himself. The hands are getting fatter. They're growing <laughs> They're growing in front of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, my, my point was that I just want to say thank you to everybody that's sharing and telling people about the show. And thank you to Nick for all his hard work. Uh, and put in, you know, helping me put out two shows a week for the last, you know, since January, I think. Well, thank you, Captain. All right, we will see everybody back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule, so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.